Welcome to episode 7 of Generation X Lapsed We are officially in the second half of this uh, little series here And uh, as a matter of fact, we've only got two more episodes featuring uh, Volume 2 Because we are on the precipice of Marvel Legacy The uh, sort of kind of half-hearted Me Too to DC's Rebirth initiative Which, uh, well, it feels like Marvel really didn't uh, try to stick the landing uh, all that well here. Uh, we will get three issues of legacy-numbered uh, Generation X following the Legacy Initiative, which, I don't know if that just doesn't say at all, huh? Um, I feel like with Legacy, and, and we'll talk about this more as we get closer, Marvel spent most of their effort on trying to uh, reproduce, like, classic-style house ads, which... Also looked kind of half-hearted It was almost like uh, Rather than it being a celebration of old comic uh, uh, House ads It was more like a Hey, remember these? You know, like kind of those I think the member berries is what uh, We on the internet now call these things It uh, just felt very half-hearted But that'll be a discussion for another day For now, let's hop right on in here This is Generation X Volume 2, Number 7 Cited December 2017 cover date, written by Christina Strain, with art by Eric Coda. Colors, Felipe Sobriero, letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles, edits, Robinson, Shan, Panizia, and Alonzo. Cover price, $4. This one went on sale October 18th of 2017. Now, before we get inside the book, um, this is uh, not my favorite of the Dodson covers uh, for issue 7. Now, for folks without the book in front of you, which I assume is probably... Everybody listening, um, what we've got here is Morph, halfway morphed into Andrea Strucker. Now, before reading this volume, I was about 100% positive that he was morphing into Emma Frost, since uh, it looks a whole lot more like Emma than it does Andrea, at least in this issue. Uh, Andrea here is depicted as having long hair, which she uh, does not have inside the book, so it's uh, maybe a bit of a Chris problem (laughs) in as far as... uh, you know, just deciding what a character looks like and making them always look like that. Uh, I really, I feel nostalgic for days that I wasn't even in the fandom here, like the uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, you know, character Bible days, where this is what the character looks like. If you use this character, make them look like this. We just uh, don't have that anymore, and uh, I'm not sure we've had that at any point in my comic collecting career, but uh, yeah, what are you going to do? 
Now Morph, as Andrea, is punching the other Fenris twin, Andres, in the mush, while Nathan, Quentin, and iBoy run out a door in the background. Eh? iBoy? Okay. Like I said, not one of my favorite of the Dodson covers here. I mean, it's technically, you know, nice to look at, but eh, not my favorite. Let's open this sucker up here. A single page spread of Roll Call and Cred. We got Jubilee. We got Bling, who isn't in this issue. Kid Omega. Nature Girl, who thankfully isn't in this issue. Morph. Hindsight. And iBoy, who, despite being on the cover, is not in this issue. Now we open with Quentin, Nate, and Benji uh, putting together their plan to swipe the canister of nano-sentinels from the Fenris twins. Now, if you recall, uh, the Fenris twins won a hit auction for the goods last issue, and I believe they bid to uh, conduct ten hits for uh, Cade Kilgore in order for uh, the little canister there. Now, our young heroes are kind of grossed out by how much affection the Strucker twins show one another, and yeah, yeah, they, uh, they've totally got a point, because these two are, like, pawn all over each other. Now, it's worth noting that Andrea died a while back, and so the one we've got here is a clone, which doesn't make it any less incestual. Uh, it's still a very, very icky relationship. Now, Quentin tells the guys that after Andrea died, Andres tanned her skin to wrap around the hilt of his sword, which... Sounds quite outlandish, but in fact, actually happened. This is true. It happened in New Thunderbolts number 17, March 20, 2006, cover date. And despite sounding really gross, there's actually a good reason for it. Now, you see, the Fenris twins' power requires skin-to-skin contact to be made between the two. And so, having Andreas, uh, I'm sorry, Andrea's skin on the hilt of uh, Andreas' sword makes it so Andreas can always access his powers, you dig? Uh, It's still very, very gross, though. Now, during this bit of exposition, Nathaniel is trying to use his touchy powers to procure some security codes from a wall. I didn't realize his powers worked that way, but uh, hey, we learn something new every day. Next, Quentin reveals his plan. Now, he's going to make Andreas think he's got to pee really bad. Then, in the bathroom, Benji will KO him and take his place. He'll cozy up to Andrea, swipe the nano-sentinel canister, and bada-bing-bada-boom, exit stage left. Now, Benji ain't so sure, considering that Andreas, uh, despite being a creep and a, you know, strange little fellow, is still uh, an expert swordsman and fighter. Nate's not sure that Benji can pull this off. Uh, He asks what happens if his morphing ability isn't perfect. Like, what if Andrea knows that... Benji is not her beloved, uh, beautiful, blonde brother. Quentin tells him not to worry, as when Benji morphs, he emits a chemical that puts people at ease and makes them like him. Nate says, hmm, that makes sense, and uh, more on that in a little bit. And so, before we know it, Benji heads to the bathroom to await Andreas' arrival. He morphs into Andrea in the meantime. When Andreas enters, he, as Andrea, tells him they need to talk, and things begin to get incestial. Incest? On my show? Well, heavens to Betsy and her beautiful British blonde brother, Brian Braddock. Uh, Andreas tells Benji that he knows what he, she wants to talk about and gently caresses his, her face. He then realizes that, uh, well... There's a little bit of stubble on his sister's cheek. 
Benji says that he, she, forgot to moisturize, to which Andreas exclaims that he, she, moisturizes religiously. Which, I hate to say it, is uh, it's kind of a funny response. Andreas is then zapped in the back by Nathaniel, who swiped a very powerful stun gun from the exterminatrix. Benji thanks Nate for the save and says that as soon as Andreas made skin-to-skin contact, his goose was cooked. Then, one pep talk and clothes change later, and Benji is ready to swipe them bots. Out on the main floor, Benji as, a, as Andreas meets up with Andrea. The whole time up to this point, Benji has been replaying a memory in his head. A memory of a time where Cyclops told him that he wasn't ready, and how uh, that really wound up affecting his confidence. He repeats Scott's words over and over. You, Mr. Deeds, are not ready, dot dot dot. Over and over and over. He finally has enough and thinks to himself, Screw you, Scott Summers. Well, that's them's fighting words, but uh, in fairness, Cyclops spent most of the 2010s being written like a complete dick. Also in fairness, I believe he spent much of that time being written by Brian Bendis, so what are you going to do? Benji meets up with Andrea and takes her by the arm. Meanwhile, Nate and Quentin chat at one of the catered tables here. Nate sheepishly asks Quentin about his relationship with Benji. So, it seems as though Nathaniel's got himself the hot pants for Morph. Quentin smirks, now knowing exactly why Nate chose to read his mind that morning, as we saw last issue during Dupes class. Quentin tells Nate not to worry about his interests in Benji, claiming that there really isn't anything there. He says Benji's too fragile and suggests that uh, if he were interested, he'd destroy him, which I don't think that's a scene we need to see. Then, the main baddie of the ex-lapsed family of shows during this week, Cade Kilgore, reveals that he overheard this entire conversation. He's put together that the morphing kid was, well, Morph, the ex-student, Benjamin Deeds. He takes this to mean that Quentin is back in the good graces of the Uncannies. He then presses a gimmick on his cufflink, which triggers a psychic dampener, making it so QQ cannot communicate with Benji. Speaking of Benji, he's walking beside Andrea, who is holding the nano-sentinel canister. He is most definitely distracted, which Andrea picks up on. She asks him what they, what they ought to do for their upcoming birthday. Benji composes himself and glibly replies that they should uh, maybe go dancing or maybe murder some mutants or something. Which would probably be the right answer. But Andrea then informs him that their birthday was a week ago. Whoops. Back to KK and QQ. Kilgore reveals that the Nano Sentinels thing was a trap. There ain't no Nano Sentinels in that canister. He just put that up for bid to try and trigger a reaction from Quentin. It's really just a thing full of saline. So it looks like Benji is probably going to die for nothing more than a thing of contact lens solution. We jump back to the Fenris. Andrea wants to know what happened to her brother. And so Benji morphs into the Mandrill, grabs the canister, and goes to flee. He runs past Tombstone and then morphs into him in order to throw Andrea off his scent. Black Tarantula and a bunch of luchadors get tied up in the chase, and before long, bad guys are bumping into one another left and right. Back to KK and QQ. Quentin tells Cade to just kill them already. To which, Kilgore says he's not interested in any of that. He just wants to screw with Quentin. He's happy to hear that Quentin's back with the X-Men, and even compares him to a nano-sentinel himself. He claims that Quentin will ultimately wind up destroying the X-Men from the inside out, and that's just fine by him. 
Then, a loud crash. Turns out the entire room is in a full-blown riot. Cade orders his heavies to get him the hell out of there. Benjamin tosses a crostini or a crostini at Nate to get his attention. It's one of those words I've seen, and I just don't know if I've ever said it out loud. Quentin deflects all sorts of projectiles while Nate and Benji chat. Ben tells Nate to try feeling the wall to see if there's any sort of hidden escape passage anywhere. Nate's not all that confident in his ability to do so, but Benji convinces him to just relax, listen to his voice, and give it a try. Bada-bing, bada-boom, Nate finds the passage, and Quentin comments that this is such a cliché. Nate leads our heroes over to a bust of Cade's father, the esteemed and constipated-looking Carlton Kilgore. Now, poking the bust in the eyes causes the secret door to open, kind of like the Three Stooges here. Quentin is actually impressed by this, because uh, I suppose he would be. Then, scene shift, because uh, we remember that this is a book called Generation X, and so we've got to at least have a minute or two with Jubilee. And so we scoot over to the Xavier Institute of Auctioneering, Bagpiping, and Puppet Arts, where Call Me Jubes and Jono are reflecting on their night in the park busting muggers, which we saw play out last issue. Jubilee says it made her feel more like her than she has felt in a very long time. And she comments how weird it is to remember her time as a mutant as the most normal time in her life. Jono unwittingly whispers some sweet nothings, which cause Jubilee to coo and cuddle a bit. She then nearly bites her tongue off with her vamp teeth. She rushes to uh, rushes off to check out her new piercing, leaving Jono and Shogo on the couch. Shogo doot doot doots at chamber, which I think is code for he's got the hot pants for Jubilee. Now, speaking of the hot pants, let's get back to the boys. They're back at the dorms, and Nate heads off to his room. He tells Benji that uh, he owes him a movie. Remember, they lied about watching a movie together last issue in order to get out of hanging out with Quentin. And Quentin hears this and rolls his eyes. As Quentin and Benji head for their room, Quentin can tell that Benji shares Nate's hot pantsedness, and he tells him to go do something about it. And so Benji goes over to Nate, but he chickens out. Now we wrap up in Quentin and Benji's room, with the former getting undressed and the latter in the fetal position on his bed. Wow, uh, <clears throat> that description makes the scene sound quite sinister, doesn't it? And actually, the way it's drawn kind of does, too. It's not, though. Uh, Quentin's basically just really disappointed that Ben chickened out. Uh, though he's probably not as disappointed as Benji is with himself. And that is where we leave it. And you know, I was going to start this uh, little section, our little ending section of this episode by saying, hey, that wasn't bad. But I can't say that. Uh, I can't say it wasn't bad because it was actually kind of good. <laughs> I, I can't believe I'm going to say this here, but I really enjoyed this issue. Now, it wouldn't be me if I didn't bring this point up, but uh, it's taken seven issues, which is just shy of a $30 investment in this volume, and that is not... That's not ideal. I mean, I might be mistaken, but I believe this is this would be into the second trade paperback volume, right? So the entire first one was kind of just, eh. And here we are in the second of two volumes, and it's uh, starting to get good. It's starting. We're starting to, I guess, understand a bit more about our characters here. We we know them a little bit better. So um, I guess uh, I can only speak for myself, but I guess they're they're maybe they're growing on me. So where do we start with this one? What do we talk about first here? I suppose 
I mean, this is a very hot pants issue, isn't it? Um, we could talk about that here. We've got a couple of couples uh, in, in the works here. Uh, we can start with uh, Benji and, and our point of view character here, Nate. I think when we started discussing this volume several weeks ago, I was uh, I expressed a little bit of concern that this was going to turn into like the, the Kieran Gillen Young Avengers thing, where it felt like every issue was just the characters trading off with one another over and over and over again, and it kind of became a little overdone to the point where I think like one of the last things they said in that volume was like, hey, have we all banged one another or something like that? And I was worried that this was going to be more of that. Um, and it's not. It's not here. The relationship between Benji and Nate is uh, is actually, you know, it's fairly adorable in, in a way here. It's uh, very innocent. You can tell that they both have feelings for one another. Uh, Nate, uh, let's talk about Nate. Um, now, he has feelings for Benji. That much we know for sure. He's even jealous of Benji's relationship with Quentin, despite the fact that it... Uh, even when he touched Quentin, I think he could tell that, like, Benji's really not into it. He was just there because he's a pushover, and Quentin made him come with him. But here, we have Quentin saying that uh, Ben emits a, I don't know if it's a pheromone necessarily, but it's a chemical that puts people around him at ease. I don't know if that's like a, I mean, I'm not sure we can call it a secondary mutation or just a byproduct of his mutation where he, sh- he shapeshifts, he morphs. But he puts people at ease, so maybe they would not notice things like imperfections, you know, where he's not 100% a Fenris twin, or, you know, or, or whoever, right? And that made Nathaniel uh, kind of take pause here, and he's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. So I don't know if that means he's questioning his feelings. And I think that's an interesting angle to take, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out here. But the fact that he took pause there... And he's like, well, that makes a lot of sense, because maybe he's questioning whether or not he has these feelings legitimately, you know? And I, I like that. Now, Benji, of course, he uh, sheepishly seems into Nathaniel as well here, and is kind of a coward. Or maybe he's just a teenager. I mean, I can't really speak from uh, my vast experience as a uh, teenage romantic. I mean, I'm sure that's shocking to all of you. But uh, here he is. He's got feelings, a crush. And he's scared to uh, address it. He's scared to reveal it. Quentin, he you know picks up on signs, and he also can read minds, so he knows exactly what's going on. He knows the score, and he prompts him to go, and maybe go get what he wants. You know, don't waste, don't waste the day. You know, and he chickened out because I mean, crushes are difficult, right? Crushes are complicated, and I feel like this one is as well. But uh, I really like uh, I like that they're planting seeds here. It's kind of a shame that we know that we're not going to see Nathaniel or Benji after this series. I don't think. I mean, we I don't think we've seen them yet. So uh, I don't know how it's uh, going to work itself out. Now we also have the other uh, couple in in uh, the works here in Jubilee and uh, and Jono, which to me, you know, being a classic Generation X fan, that always seemed to be, like, the most likely pairing, because Jono is, like, the most, you know, striking, one of the most striking characters in the X-Men roster, especially of the day, and Jubilee was, like, the star of that book, you know, she was the, she was the one, 
because Generation X, you can look at it like compared to a TV show here where you have like the backdoor pilot and someone gets a spinoff of their own. It was kind of Jubilee spinoff here, which facilitated expansion into this uh, cast of Teenage Mutants here. So I, you know, seeing that, it was like, okay, well, Jono, he, he's definitely, you know, a star in this book because he just looks so damn cool. He was on all the promotional work. He was on the ash can. He just looks cool. So I figured that him and Jubilee were just a natural. They didn't go that way. You know, they went with uh, Chamber and Husk, and Jubilee was just, you know, kind of just chilling. So it's weird. To, it's like a weird culmination of my, you know, 30 years of fandom here to see potential sparks between Jubilee and Chamber. Um, of course, I mean, we know from our current post-Hoxpox books here that Chamber is hanging out in the sextant with the New Mutants, and Jubilee is hanging out in the Excalibur Lighthouse, and I don't think we've seen them cross paths. So who really knows if this is going to uh, be a thing that bears any fruit, or if it does, uh, I'm, I'm guessing it'll be short-term or uh, just swept under the rug. Now, uh, we can talk about our threat for this issue, uh, Cade Kilgore, who, um, if you're following all the X-Lapsed uh, family of programs, you're probably uh, you're probably sick of seeing and hearing about Cade Kilgore, because he's been around quite a bit lately here. I think this was a good use for him. I liked the way he kind of dismissed Quentin as something of a destructive force, and basically just letting him be him, knowing that it'll destroy the X-Men at some point. I, I like that, because... Uh, I mean, we've, we're learning a bit about Quentin here. He, he's kind of walking that tightrope between vulnerability and aloof ego, for a lack of a, a better term there. We know that he's vulnerable. We know he has weaknesses here. We saw him with Oya last issue. We see how he is kind of clingy with Ben. He wants friends. You know, he wants to not be alone and to hear Cade Kilgore be like, you know what, you're punishment enough. <laughs> you know, you are the X-Men's punishment on Earth. And I uh, thought that was really, really cool. And uh, I'd like to see more vulnerability from uh, Quentin Quire. I mean, we are seeing that these days in the post-Hoxpox and the reign of X-Books, I guess we're at now, where Quentin is, you know, he, he we're seeing a softer side of Quentin Quire, which I believe when we covered those issues of... Uh, X-Force Volume 6, I kind of question whether or not we needed that. It's like, do we need to like this guy? Do we need to understand him? And I think I fell on the side of like, nah, <laughs> you know, we, we, we just need to love to hate the guy. But no, I think there might be something to it. I think there might be something to uh, fleshing him out and, uh, and learning a bit more about him and being able to uh, sympathize with his, uh, just with his state of being, I suppose. Uh, let's talk about Fenris. They are creepy. <laughs> they are extremely uh, creepy here. Um, well written, but I, I fear that it, they might be falling to um, the uh, Vartox trap, which I've talked about a time or two on this channel here, where folks familiar with Vartox, who was Superman's you know friend slash enemy back in the Bronze Age, he was the one who was modeled off of Sean Connery in the movie Zardos or Zardos. He was written as a champion back in the Bronze Age here. He was someone who was almost as strong as Superman, had a lot of similarities with Superman, and I believe after I spent a month inside Vartox Week, I came to the conclusion that Vartox was basically the Superman that failed. You know, Superman was sent off of Krypton, he came to Earth, and was just a champion. 
Vartox seems to trip over his own feet And it's not like he's a goof He's just He's just a victim of circumstance But He looks like a creep You know, he's got the He's got like the 70s hairy chest You know, he's got the big mustache And so when they brought him back in Around 2009-2010 They decided not to They decided to winnow his character down From this Champion with a tortured past To 70s gigolo guy You know, 70s pervert Mustache guy And I mean, the the stories were fun It was uh, Palmiati, Grey And Connor in that Power Girl Series right before Flashpoint It was fun stories But that wasn't the Vartox of old Here we have Fenris Who I think we're just like Focusing, laser focused On the fact that Ha 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 incest Right? I mean we're taking away everything And I'm not saying these are special characters I don't think I've ever read a Fenris story That I actually cared about But I feel like we're Focusing only on the creepy Incest parts of it which is Doing a disservice I mean it gets you the funny Ha ha's but it's sort of Kind of low hanging fruit uh, At least to me At least to me. Um, We talk about the art The art uh, is growing on me I I think last Episode I said it looked like the Like a big budget indie movie Where it was like okay well This is what a big budget corporation thinks Indie looks like And and that's what we got Here it looked a a bit I don't know if it was a bit cleaner Or I'm just used to it (laughs) Or maybe I'm just a little bit less nitpicky today Who knows Um, Overall Like I said I like this issue I like this issue and it makes me confident That I'm going to enjoy at least I, I hope I'm going to enjoy the second half of this Generation X Lapsed project. And I very much hope you will as well. Now, if you'd like to reach out and get a hold of me and tell me how much you're enjoying the Generation X Lapsed project, or any project, or just to say hello, I'd love you to reach out. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics, or you can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. I figured out how to get into the uh, X-Lapsed Instagram. It's 90s X-Men. Um, I even changed the profile picture, so it's X-Lapsed. So that's a thing. I'm hopefully going to be uh, focusing on that a little bit here and here and again. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, you can go to chrisoninfiniteearth.com for blog posts and show notes. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And for all your Chris and Reggie listening needs, you can go to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. Available anywhere you find sound and or noise But that's going to do it for today I want to thank you all so much for sharing some time with me And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon See ya